Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Samuel said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his right. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your wine and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go before us to fight our battles. A sudden silence hit the earth. The great ships hung motionless over every nation. Many people went straight into shock as their minds tried to encompass what they were looking at. The ships hung in the sky in very much the same way that bricks don't. And still, nothing happened. Then there was a slight whisper, a sudden spacious whisper of open ambient sound. Every hi-fi set in the world, every radio, every television, every cassette recorder, every woofer, every tweeter, every mid-range driver in the world, quietly, turned itself on. Every tin can, every dustbin, every window, every car, every wine glass, every sheet of rusty metal became activated as an acoustically perfect sounding board. Before the earth passed away, it would be treated to the very ultimate 
in sound reproduction. The greatest public address system ever built. But there was no concert, there was no music, no fanfare, just a simple message. People of Earth, your attention please, a voice said, and it was wonderful. Wonderfully perfect quadraphonic sound with distortion levels so low as to make a brave man weep. This is Prosthetic Vogon Jeltz of the Galactic Hyperspace Planning Council, the voice continued. As you will no doubt be aware, the plans for the development of the outlying regions of the galaxy require the building of a hyperspace express route through your star system, and regrettably, your planet is one of those scheduled for demolition. The process will take slightly more than two of your Earth minutes. Thank you. The PA died away. Uncomprehending terror settled on the watching people of Earth. Observing this, the Vogons tuned, turned on their PA again. It said, there's no point in acting surprised about it. All the planning charts and demolition orders have been on display in your local planning department on Alpha Centauri for 50 of your Earth years. So you've had plenty of time to lodge any formal complaint, and it's far too late to start making a fuss about it now. Somebody somewhere must have manned a radio transmitter, located a wavelength, and broadcast a message back to the Vogon ships to plead on behalf of the planet. Nobody heard what they said, only the reply. The PA slammed back to life again. The voice was annoyed. It said, what do you mean you've never been to Alpha Centauri? For heaven's sakes, humankind, it's only four light years away. I'm sorry, but if you can't be bothered to take an interest in local affairs, that's your own lookout. Energize the demolition beams. According to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this is how our planet is destroyed. It's nothing personal. Papers have been filed. Wheels have been set in motion. It's all in a day's work. Planet Earth is smashed to bits by the mundane performance of someone's job description. It's not hard to imagine since the days of Franz Kafka, we've known that there's something inherently sinister about our institutions. Think about it. Every time you interact with an institution, you are presented with a form. At the top of the form, you are asked to sign your name. Further down the page, inevitably, you will be presented with a set of boxes. Check one. Or check all that apply. It doesn't matter. Those little boxes are windows institutions can only see through the windows that they have created. Inevitably, those windows will be too narrow. Inevitably, you will find yourself thinking, well, that box isn't quite right for me, and no, that, that box isn't quite re right either. My situation doesn't fall neatly into any of these categories. What do you do? What do you do when you don't really fit into any of the boxes that have been provided for you? Sometimes when I'm filling out a form, I find myself reading through a list of possible professions. Pastor is almost never on the list. I might identify myself as a community organizer, but many of you refuse to be organized. 
Or I might say that I work for a nonprofit, but that's not quite right either. I don't really fall into any of these categories. My existence does not fit any of the boxes provided to me. This particular example doesn't really bother me. I'm not trying to communicate something about a personal injury. I'm trying to make a statement about the nature of institutions. Institutions have a narrow field of vision. Anything that doesn't fit into that narrow field of vision is erased. It is disqualified from existence. That's how institutions work. That's how they're meant to work. When we decided to build a community building, we took our plans to the city. They said, well, you're going to need to plant a line of arborvitae along the northern property line. We told them, well, this area is shaded by large trees. Those big trees will block all the sunlight and will keep all the rain from reaching the ground. We told them the arborvitae will die. We took photos. We got a note from our neighbor but we were talking to an institution, and it is the nature of institutions to see the world in a limited way. Despite all of our photographic evidence, the city was incapable of seeing those big trees. They couldn't see them as relevant. Instead, they saw a line on a map, they saw a rule about green space between properties, and so the city erased those big trees. Poof, they required us to plant arborvitae. We did it. Although we knew it was absurd, we abandoned the real world in all of its complexity and we conformed ourselves to the institution's vision of things. We did what we had to do in order to get our building permit. We planted arborvita, and it died. It all died. Again, I am not trying to claim personal injury. I'm trying to make a general statement about the nature of institutions Institutions can only see through the windows that they have created. They require us to abandon the messy world with all of its glorious complexity. Institutions force us to conceive of the world in a more limited way. These days, we've become wary of institutions. We find it easy to cast empires corporations and bureaucracies as villains in many of our stories. We perceive them as a threat, not because they are large, but because they erase what doesn't fit. When Vogons destroy the earth, it makes a certain kind of sense. It is the logical consequence of erasing so many inconvenient edges. Eventually, institutions will erase too much. Eventually, they will re reduce the entire equation to zero. We don't trust institutions, even though we made them. We left behind our villages. We left behind our extended families. We wanted a system that would work where people were strangers to one another. This is why we created them. Institutions allow us to interact with people that we don't know. Nobody at Wells Fargo knows you. Nobody at State Farm knows you. Nobody knows you at Providence Hospital. They don't know you, but they still know what to do with you. They will decide whether or not you get the loan or the operation. They will decide whether or not your storm-damaged roof qualifies for reimbursement. 
None of those decisions are personal. That is the key. That's why we did it. We can't possibly know each other anymore. We need a system that is not personal. We are mostly strangers to one another. That's the world as it is. And so we need a way to categorize one another. We need to make decisions that are not personal. Who gets the loan? Who gets admitted to college? Who gets sent off to war? By assigning people to the proper category, we can make decisions about them without ever having to know them. Of course institutions erase anything that doesn't fit. It's their job to do this. For the system to work, everyone must fit in one category or another. The only way to make an impersonal decision is to decide by category. Otherwise, you'd have to actually get to know everyone in all of their messy complexity. We'd have to customize every decision to fit the actual people involved and who has time for that. Because we live in a world of strangers, we've come to believe that institutions are necessary. We've invented this practice, but we've come to see it as an immutable feature of human society. Even the church has become an institution. Years ago, the superintendent of our yearly meeting pulled me aside. He wanted to set some boundaries with me. He said, you should be able to visit a friend's church in Boise or Entiat or Newburgh and basically have the same experience. In other words, all the people in Northwest Yearly Meeting should fall into the same category. We've come to see the church as another set of categories. We've asked people to check a box or a set of boxes, and we have erased anything that doesn't fit. We've made people less than they are. The Yearly Meeting is trying to decide what to do with this now. Our meeting doesn't fit. We are out of compliance. Really, our yearly meeting is making a decision about itself. Is Northwest Yearly Meeting an institution? Or is it something a little different? If our yearly meeting is an institution, then the answer is obvious. We don't conform. We are outside the box. If our yearly meeting is an institution, then it makes complete sense to erase us. It's nothing personal. It's merely the logical outcome of sorting us into the right category. But maybe our yearly meeting is something different than an institution. Maybe the connection between us is more personal. And that maybe is why they can't decide. I feel the same tension within myself. People are a lot of work. Categories are so much easier. It's so much easier to make a rule for everyone who uses the church kitchen or for everyone who speaks in open worship. Rules like that are institutional and I'm drawn to them precisely because they are impersonal. I don't have to say, Jane, please stop brewing skunk cabbage in the church kitchen. 
I don't have to say, Tim, please stop singing Adele songs in open worship. I don't have to have a real conversation with difficult people or a difficult conversation with real people if by the power of institutional thinking I can simply post a set of rules and expect everyone to conform. I want my conflicts to be categorical because categories are so much easier. There's a reason why we choose to act like an institution but it's time to realize that institutions are failing us. We are losing our trust in institutions. As a culture, we are looking for new ways to connect. We are still searching for that new way, but the church could be part of that search. Our loyalty is not to the existing structure. We don't need a king like other nations. We don't need institutions to divide us into proper categories. As people of faith, we can be held together by something deeper. We're listening together. We share the work of listening together. As people of faith, let's take the lead in embracing the full complexity of life. Let's proclaim that God is best revealed in the complicated whole. Let's become leaders in welcoming people as their complete and messy selves. On this first day of a new year, I turn my face to the future. This is a direction that calls to me. I wonder if anyone else feels the same way. Here are some queries to take back into the silence. When are we most likely to institutionalize a problem or a conflict? That is, when are we most tempted to solve a problem by applying categories rather than engaging the full complexity of real people? What are the complexities that you are willing to erase so that everything will fit together? What have you learned not to see? <laughs>